uh, let's uh, come together. Um, now, we're in the middle of a series um, called Life in Jesus. I think that's a series. And so I want to talk about the fact that life in Jesus brings freedom. And uh, we have an expectation here at Trent Vineyard that, that we are going to find increasing freedom as we journey with Jesus. And today I want to talk about something uh, very exciting and uh, quite dramatic. But before I get there, let me just tell you, there's a great book that you might want to read one day by a guy called Guy Chabreau, and it's called We Dance Because We Cannot Fly. And it's the story of Battelle. Now, some of you may have come across a Battelle um, large kind of selling furniture, um, things for your house in Beeston. There's one in Nottingham. And this is a story of a community that brought together addicts, prostitutes, dealers, homeless folk, and um, they have found freedom. They found freedom from heroin addiction. It's stories of redemption. It's full of stories of hope. And uh, the thing that struck Guy Chevreau as he went to spend time with them was their worship. It was so exuberant. It was so joyous. And they literally would say to him, if we could fly, that's what we would do. Uh, but so all we can do is dance. If we could take off, that's how, what we would do. And that was what their worship was like. So I want to talk about life with Jesus bringing that kind of freedom. And I want to um, read from the scriptures a very dramatic and exciting story, um, which is when Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. And so if you have a device or a, a Bible with you, which is always better, um, I, will, uh, I want to encourage you to look at this story with me. So I'm reading from Mark, Mark chapter 5. Mark, it's uh, one of the Gospels which recounts the life of Jesus and what he did. And so I'm starting in verse 1, Mark chapter 5. So uh, Jesus and his disciples had just crossed the lake. When they went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well when the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him 
but said to him, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So it's an incredible story. It's very, very dramatic. Um, This man is overwhelmingly broken. His life is wretched. He's been torn apart. He's actually cutting his body with stones. He's self-harming. He has this terrifying strength to the point where no chain or rope can hold him down. People are terrified of him, frightened to death, and so they've cast him out of the neighborhood. They can't cope with him. So now he's living in isolation. He's separated from his family, his community. He's living in a graveyard among the dead. He's suffering extreme distress. He's a danger to himself and to others, and he lives in torment. And he is demonized. He is is absolutely infested with demons. So he is on the extreme end of mental, psychological, and emotional brokenness, added to which he is tormented by these demons. You see, Satan never plays fair. He never plays fair. He finds our weakest point. He finds the most vulnerable people. He comes in to any place where we are feeling um, in a place of negativity or despair, and he tries to swarm around and attach himself. And he is out to destroy us. Now, I want to make it very, very clear. Having a mental illness does not mean that somebody is necessarily demonized. We must not jump to conclusions. We mustn't um, decide just because we find somebody who is mentally, psychologically, or emotionally distressed, or is suffering from mental health illness, even taking medication, that they are necessarily afflicted by demons. We mustn't jump to those conclusions. But having said that, Demons are real. They are real. And they do oppress us. And they chase after us. And the way sometimes they afflict us, the way it manifests, is physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. And so we could be afflicted by a spirit of fear, a spirit of abandonment, a spirit of self-hatred, a lying spirit. There are all kinds of evil spirits that are attached to terrible things that go on in our lives. And we must be aware of it. So We don't want to jump to conclusions. I want to make that very, very clear for any of you here who are suffering mental, emotional, psychological distress. We are not going to jump to conclusions that this is necessarily um, anything to do with the demonic. On the other hand, we need to be aware that demons do exist. And so what we need is discernment. We need discernment. Now, when I was a little girl, I was about five years old, and I was very aware of an old lady. We called her, or we knew her to be called Vieja Antonia, Old Lady Antonia. Now, um, she uh, roamed the streets around us. Um, She wore um, very dirty, smelly clothes. Her hair was, was matted and dark and riddled with lice. Because her hair was so dark, you could see the eggs in her hair. And um, she would sit in a huddle on the steps um, of the pavement or in corners, rocking a big bundle. And um, every so often, uh, a few months would go by, and and authorities would turn up in a van. They would drag her off, and they would wash her down, and they would shave her head, and then they would dump her back on the streets. And um, uh, that was her life. And I realized later that this bundle was full of... um, 
baby clothes, and that what had happened to her was that she had either her child had died or had been taken from her, and she would rock this bundle, and it was it epitomised the grief that she was carrying. Now. I don't know much more of her backstory. I was very little, but I know that I felt very frightened and very disturbed. Was the old lady, Antonia, manifesting mental health sickness, or was she demonized? I don't know, because I didn't have discernment at that time. But what was clear, that Vieja Antonia, this old lady, Antonia, like the man in the story, they both need Jesus. They both needed Jesus. So you may not know somebody as extremely unwell as Vieja Antonia, um, or like the man in the story. But we all suffer in, to some level, in some way, either physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, you may be here today feeling mentally unwell, emotionally broken, suffering distress. You may even be feeling suicidal. You may actually believe you are oppressed, um, that you are afflicted. You may have a child, somebody close to you, a relative or a friend, someone carrying a huge weight, a bundle, a baggage of grief, uh, an addiction, a compulsive disorder of some kind, something that's locking them in and restricting them, robbing them from freedom. Now, many years ago, John Mumford, who now coordinates the international global movement of the vineyard, and he used to lead the UK and Ireland, and we took his, uh, his, his and Eleanor's job on from them, he talked to the Vineyard Movement about his own journey um, through depression and how he had to take medication. And I remember even in seasons when John was taking medication that he wasn't quite himself and it was quite challenging. But because he shared his story, he took the stigma away. Because some of these um, uh, burdens and, and sicknesses that people carry, even affliction, are stigmatized. People tend to be afraid and, um, you know, stay aloof. And we can feel like we carry stigma when we have these, these problems. And so in sharing his own story, he liberated vineyard leaders and vineyard people to be open about the journey that they're on and when they suffer all kinds of distress and ailments. Now, three years ago, we were um, taking on the role um, and, and sort of bedding into the role of this movement. And um, I just started a, a journey of anxiety that seemed to spiral out of control. And I began to even wish that I was dying. I wish that I died. And I articulated that, which is a very dangerous place to be in. And, um, and I began to have out-of-body experiences. I would be in the supermarket, and I felt like my I was lifting out of my body. And I went to the doctors and I explained what was going on. And, and my doctor tried different medication, different approaches to help me. But I didn't seem to be finding peace. I didn't seem to feel the anxiety lifted. And I was actually in this room. We were at, we, there was a conference happening in our building. Uh, so it was either, either Friday or Saturday. Um, I was in this room and uh, someone laid hands on me. And immediately I felt this, I screamed out, an agonizing scream. It went on for a few minutes. And, um, but a dark weight was lifted. It just lifted off me in that moment. Now, was I delivered? I think I was, actually. Was I embarrassed? Yes, I was a bit. Um, but quite honestly, I was desperate. I needed to get free. I needed freedom. I needed Jesus. And I was so thankful that someone came and prayed for me. And I was set free that morning. So we need to destigmatize both mental health issues and when we need deliverance. All around us, people are struggling. You know, according to the Mental Health Foundation, one person in 15 has attempted suicide at some point in their life. 
the NHS estimates that one in six people have experienced a mental health problem in the last week. The last week. And one in four people will experience a mental health difficulty each year. The UK has the highest prevalence of self-harm in Europe, according to the Mental Health Foundation. And self-harm is most likely to affect the youngest, those between age 11 and 25. We see an increase in identity disorders, gender disorders, um, compulsive disorders, eating disorders, addictions of all kind. It's all around us, and it's around us here in, in each other and one another. So let's get back to this story. Um, the man definitely shows signs of mental health, uh, sickness, but also Jesus discerns that he is demonized. So what can we learn from this story? What can we learn for all of us from this story? Well, the first one is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. When Jesus got out of the boat, this is verse 2, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So the man comes to Jesus. He's in a poor destitute, tormented state, yet he found himself able to come to Jesus, to come to Jesus as the answer to his problem. So when you're in trouble, when you're in pain, when you're sick, when you're broken, when you're afflicted, come to Jesus. Do you know, sometimes we feel a resistance. We feel a resistance. We may feel ashamed. We may feel embarrassed. We may feel rejection. Re rejection. You know, we may fear being judged because we represent Jesus to one another. And so by coming to Jesus, we're actually coming to someone here, someone who loves Jesus. And sometimes we feel that resistance. We feel that embarrassment. But I want to tell you that we are here for one another. Coming to Jesus involves opening up to the Holy Spirit. It may mean going on the Freedom in Christ course or the Power to Change course, going on Sozo, asking uh, people to pray with you in small group. It may be coming up for prayer at the front. This is a place where you can trust people and not going to judge you. This is a place of acceptance. This is a place where we are going to practice being Jesus to one another. And Jesus is the full revelation of the Father. He's God. He made you. He knows everything about you. He knows even the things that you have buried so deep you've forgotten. You've sometimes forgotten the root of the problem that has led to either the affliction or the mental health difficulty. There are deeply buried things, but Jesus has triumphed over all these things, over shame, alienation, fear. It's in Jesus that we find hope. It's in him that we find peace. It's in him that we find the freedom. Now, a few weeks ago, John, um, who's one of the pastors from Coastline Vineyard in Bournemouth, came up and was sharing at the Alpha meal. My cleaner brought four people and they loved it. They were so uh, impacted by what he said and what others shared. But anyway, he was talking either before or after to some of our staff here. And he talked about the time when, because his life was one of drug addiction, but also dealing drugs. At the same time, he was a successful in finance. Uh, so, you know, not the typical uh, person that you would imagine to be addicted to drugs. But um, on his journey, at one point, he had come through recovery, uh, but wasn't a believer. And, but he had a Christian friend. And the Christian friend would tell him all about um, the Christianity and share Jesus with him. And, and then one day John says to him, just in one word summarize the Christian faith. Just one word. Just summarize it all. And the friend, the Christian, says to John, freedom. Freedom. 
And that was, John says, that was what hit me. That's what hit me, freedom. And that set him on a course to finding Jesus and then finding lasting freedom, not just from the addiction, but from the, the activity of um, selling drugs as well, just complete freedom. And he's now one of the pastors at the Coastline Vineyard. Some of you here are um, in recovery and you're uh, in the Carpenter's Arms, which is a res residential place for men to recover from addiction. And um, the Carpenter's Arms has a remarkable success rate, um, above the, the, the success rate of many, many recovery um, places. The reason is because they, they bring the gospel, they show the, the, the good news of Jesus, they demonstrate it, and so many of the guys in Carpenter's Arms come through into faith in Jesus, and it's because of Jesus that they find lasting freedom. So first of all, come to Jesus. Now, you might say, what if you know someone who can't come? What if someone's not in a, in a fit state to come themselves to Jesus? What if it's someone who's at a distance and you can't bring them here or, or to Jesus, uh, to someone who knows Jesus? Well, I would say you bring them. On many occasions, people brought them to Jesus. In Matthew 17, a man brought his son to Jesus. He knelt before him, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures. He's suffering greatly. And we know that Jesus healed the son. But on another occasion, a Roman centurion came to Jesus and his servant was, was back home, sick. So he wasn't present in front of Jesus, but he comes and he says, will you heal my servant? And Jesus heals the servant there and then, even though he's not close to the servant. So bring those who, who can't come for themselves, bring them in prayer to Jesus. Bring them, we'll pray together. We'll carry that burden here or in small group. We'll carry the burden together so that we will see this person find freedom. Here at Trent, we see freedom. We see many stories. We hear many stories of freedom. People get healed. Now, sometimes it takes time. But we believe that prayer works, that deliverance is possible. You see, we live in such a cruel world. And Satan wars against humanity. But God is king. God is king. His rule and reign breaks in. He comes by his spirit. He is with us now. We're not alone in our suffering. We are not alone. He sent his spirit to us. He is with us to comfort us and to deliver us. We live in the tension of the now of the kingdom and the not yet of the kingdom. Mostly we live in the thick of the not yet because uh, the enemy is all around. But the kingdom of God breaks in now right into the midst of our situations. He breaks in and he says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what it says in Hebrews. God will never leave us or forsake us. So he is always with us. You can count on him to be with you in the midst of challenge and difficulty. His hope is with us. His hope is guaranteed because in the end, all our tears will be wiped away. Ultimately, if you, even if you don't experience complete freedom now, we have a hope, a true hope that one day, it's all going to be sorted out. We are going to be completely free. So this may be your situation. You may still be taking medication. You may be receiving treatment. You may not have experienced physical healing. You may not feel entirely free. Come to Jesus anyway, because with Jesus, you have his presence. You have him with you, in and through. You're not alone. And you're not alone amongst brothers and sisters here. And this brings me to my second point. It's not just come to Jesus, but it's how you come. 
Put all your hope in Jesus. Put all your hope in Jesus. It's a posture of surrender we see in this man because in verse 6 he says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So he didn't just come to Jesus, he fell at his knees. It's a posture of worship. Whatever we experience, whatever the outcome, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Never stop worshipping him, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing. Jesus paid a price with his life for us. He paid a price so that we are free from death. We will not die. We will live eternally. We are free from the slavery of sin. It was paid for. It's done. Our freedom is guaranteed. And in Jesus, we have eternal life. We can put all our eggs in this basket. Everything. You can guarantee that by throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus, you will receive eternal life. You can rely on Jesus. Now, some time ago, Dave Miller, it was um, actually not longer, a couple of years, Dave Miller is our worship pastor here. And um, his father died very suddenly. Um, and... Uh, Dave is so young. I mean, you know, every day he must think about, wouldn't it be amazing if dad was around, grandpa to his boys. But he lost his dad. And you know what was so amazing is his instinct, Dave's instinct was to worship and surrender. He led us as a church in worship. He led us as, as the course to live for, Young Leaders Conference, so as a, the National Leaders Conference. He, he's led us in worship. Every time he and Lizzie has exper- have experienced a loss and a challenge, they have just been surrendered in worship. It's such a wonderful model to us all. He's not bound by grief. He's not become bound because he lost his amazing dad. He doesn't have his dad. And of course, the memory uh, and the, you know, the idea of his dad is going to provoke uh, moments of sadness. But he's not bound in that grief. He's free because he's surrendered to Jesus. So the man in this story, uh, who is absolutely infested demonically, still falls at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus knew the cause of his problems. And he sets him free right there and then. In verse 8, it says, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And suddenly there's a reaction. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Because Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So notice that Jesus doesn't get hyped. He doesn't start shouting. He doesn't start pulling the man around, jumping on him, waving a Bible up and down him. I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, he's, there's no fear. He just, he just commands, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus discerned that this is what this man needed. Now, let me just look at some of the indicators in this story because, first of all, we see that this man has got this supernatural strength. It's so much so that no chain, you know, no person can, 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 can hold him. And uh, no wonder the people are so frightened. So there's a supernatural strength. But also, when Jesus commands the spirit to come out, uh, there's a response. Don't torture me. Don't torture me, he says. The demons are terrified of torture. Now, that's not a normal response when we come to Jesus. To have that amount of fear, to see Jesus as a torturer, is not something that any of us, because God loves humanity, he loves people. But yes, he will torture Satan. And yes, it is right that demons should feel that sense of absolute terror in front of Jesus. So that response, we know. And then when Jesus asks his name, the man responds, my name is Legion, for we are many. So that's not a human name, that's a demonic name. And then when Jesus sends this legion demon out, it destroys the herd of pigs. 
Well, that is a supernatural destructive force. Jesus sets him free. It was deliverance that was needed. Now, there's a, there's a story in the book um, that John Wimber wrote. And if you can ever get hold of this book, Power Healing, written by John Wimber, um, it's such a good book. And so I've got an old copy, but I think you've got a picture up there, a new one. If you can get that on Amazon, I really recommend it. Um, but he tells a story in this book of Judy. It's not her real name, but I'm going to read it to you because it's quite, quite interesting. Uh, it teaches us a lot. Um, Judy was the 28-year-old wife of a missionary from Europe who had just returned home to California. Soon after arriving, she complained to her husband about seeing strange and twisted faces over her own face when she gazed into a window at night. She also told him of having terrifying dreams, something that started in France after she prayed for a man who had claimed to have demonic problems. She was confused and frightened by the strange faces and terrifying dreams. Judy, not her real name, also had other psychological problems that had been um, lifelong struggles for her. For example, for as long as she could remember, she became infatuated with married men, fantasizing um, sexual intercourse, but never actually becoming physically involved with them. Judy's family background helps to explain why she had these experiences. Both of her parents had been involved in the occult. They were married in a spiritualist church. They divorced when Judy was a young girl. She had been raised by her mother, Judy was never personally involved in the occult, and she claimed to have been a Christian since the age of four. She had married a strong Christian, but still, for a lo as long as Judy could remember, she had struggled with impure thoughts, and now these strange and twisted visions and dreams were tormenting her. Soon after returning to California, Judy attended a small group meeting that was led by Blaine and Becky Cook. During the meeting, Judy behaved in a bizarre manner. For no apparent reason, she cried out, fell on the floor, and began thrashing around. She had never behaved this way before. When Becky Cook approached Judy to help her, something in Judy said, I hate you. The words that Judy uttered seemed hardly her own. They were not her normal speech at all. Judy later said she felt like a spectator during the experience, as though she had no control over what was happening. Blaine then picked Judy up in order to take her to another room for prayer by a team. On the way, Judy hit Blaine in the mouth. By now, Blaine suspected that Judy was under the influence of a demon, so he commanded the spirit to stop its violent attacks. During the prayer time, Blaine and the team identified demons that brought about feelings of defiance, adultery, anger, and fear in Judy. Blaine put his hand on her and said, You demons of defiance, adultery, anger, and fear, be gone from this child of God. As Blaine prayed, Judy fell to the ground, and then she experienced immediate and dramatic relief from her oppression. Since then, she has had no problems with habitual sexual fantasies, demonic dreams, or seeing evil spirits on her face. Wonderful story of freedom. So we learn from that how to minister. Now, what, ha what would happen if in this context or in small groups someone were to start manifesting what appears to be um, a demon or starts crying out uh, with an emotional outburst or some sort of physical um, behavior um, that, that is disturbing and disruptive? Now, first of all, we want to treat people with great dignity and sensitivity. Everybody, everybody needs to be treated with dignity. We are all made in the image of God. And we are all deeply loved by God our Father. So we're to love each other and treat people with respect and dignity. Most loud cries are emotional distress. So we're not going to assume immediately that this is something demonic. 
In either case, if someone is experiencing um, distress and it's noisy and disruptive, we want to be very caring, very caring, very gentle in the way that we minister. You know, we can calm a situation down. We can talk to the person and say, tell me what you're experiencing, what are you feeling? Let's sit down together. You can calm a situation down. Um, even in the way we command, if we are commanding a spirit to leave, we can do it with gentleness. We can be firm with the spirit, but we can say to the person, when I speak in this firm way, remember, I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to the demon. So we treat people with love and dignity. Now, most likely the situation will be, will be taken care of um, and sort itself out. However, if it goes on and it doesn't calm down, um, mainly to preserve the dignity of the person, We'll take them out into a private room. A couple of pastors or some more experienced um, members of the church who are experienced in this way, we'll take them out and there we'll be able to lovingly discern uh, the way forward. What approach shall we take? Sometimes a situation like this doesn't resolve immediately. We may have a few opportunities to minister more in depth. Usually we're trying to get to the root of the problem. What could be the cause? What could be the entry point? Um, so for example, John and I ministered to a woman who was feeling oppressed. She was seeing strange things happen in her house. Um, she was seeing things that made her very frightened at night. And she was experiencing anxiety. And, um, and all sorts of things were happening with her sister as well that were very, very, uh, sounded to us quite um, oppressive and demonic in nature. However, we, we took her into a little meeting room and we just asked her lots of questions. Um, we prayed, and she began to manifest some very strange sort of um, movements of her face and, and her body that wasn't like something that looked like she was being blessed, but more that there was something strange going on. And um, then we talked about um, her past with her. We asked her questions, and she shared um, uh, abuse in her background. There were hurts. There were people that she needed to forgive. But the biggest um, obstacle that we came across was that she had had more than one abortion, and she had believed that it was the unforgivable sin. So she'd never told anybody. This was the first time she talked about it. Not one, but more than one abortion. And she was locked into a place of not feeling that she could be forgiven. And that was the root cause. Once we enabled her to repent, to uh, receive forgiveness for what she had done, um, the, the, the demonic stuff just lifted. And uh, she went on from there to share her story in many different places of how free she became from all the kind of suicidal thoughts, the anxiety, all the oppression that she was feeling. Her eyes lit up. She was a different person. So back to the story of the scriptures here. In this story, the man's deliverance is public. Now, this man was publicly known. It was a, a, in, in a neighborhood had cast him out. And so... Um, and he came before Jesus, and there were people around him. And so everybody knew and experienced fear uh, when they came across this man. And so Jesus sets him free publicly. And then it tells us in verse 14 um, that uh, the people reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. So they see him set free. They needed to know this man has changed. He has now been set free. And so I come to my third point. My third point is that freedom means that we can receive a commission from Jesus. We can begin to move in our calling. And it's, I love the way this story ends. It's so wonderful. This man has come to Jesus. He's put all his hope in Jesus. And now he's received a commission. This is what it says in verse 18. As Jesus 
was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So the man not only found freedom, but he discovered his purpose. He was sent out as an evangelist to the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis was 10 cities, 10 cities. It's a huge calling. It's an amazing um, calling upon this man. Now, not every person that Jesus healed was allowed by Jesus to go and tell people. With some people, he said, don't talk about this. But to this man, he said, go. Go and tell what's happened. And the effect was amazement. In his manic state, he was out and about harming himself, causing fear, roaming the graveyard. But now in his right mind, he's out and about causing amazement. He's been entrusted with the message of good news about Jesus. He's been restored to his true identity as God's child, no longer rejected, but set free. Chan Wa is a member of our church. His English name is Alan. Now, I, John and I were able to hear his story a few weeks ago when Jackie Pullinger was visiting and we went out for lunch and uh, we came to realize that Chan Wa, called Alan in English, uh, that's his English name, he had been an addict on the streets of Hong Kong and he came across Jackie Pullinger's team and they took him in. They welcomed him. They loved him. They fed him. They kept him warm. Now, he came through a recovery and, um, and he stopped taking drugs, but he, had, he didn't accept Jesus at that point. And so when he went back on the streets, he started taking drugs again. He started committing crimes and ended up back in prison. When in prison, he was given a Bible. And then he read in the Bible and he saw what Jackie and her team had done. They'd taken him in, they'd welcomed him, they'd loved him, they'd fed him, they'd kept him warm. And, uh, and because of that, he gave his life to Jesus. And then he went through the recovery process again, but this time with Jesus. He found lasting freedom. And he now lives over here in the UK, married to Laura, who's English. They have a little baby girl, and he now ministers at the Carpenter's Arms. He ministers to others who are recovering from addiction. So he not only got free in coming to Jesus, but he also has a commission over his life. He is there helping others find Jesus and work through recovery from addiction. Do you know, we put all our hope in Jesus. We, we have a posture of worshiping Jesus. Even when healing doesn't come, even when the battle is fear, we can have an attitude of worship and surrender. Some of the most wonderful people that I've known have just continued in their worship of Jesus through great turmoil and difficulty. And it's just amazing to know that there is grace for every circumstance, that his presence is real. At the beginning of this talk, I talked about Battelle, the Battelle people. Recovering addicts, drug dealers, prostitutes, homeless people who cannot contain their worship. They dance because they cannot fly. They could if they, if they would fly, if they could fly. So like this man, they have found freedom. This man has found freedom and purpose. Let's stand. Let's stand.